In 2013, the director of the FBI gives a speech titled The Going Dark Problem. Solemnly, he warns of an emerging crisis within law enforcement. Since the Snowden disclosures, increasing public awareness of surveillance has encouraged the wide-ranging use of encryption technologies, what he calls the tech tool of choice for criminals. Unfortunately, the law hasn't kept pace with technology, and this disconnect has created a significant public safety problem. We call it going dark. James Comey, FBI director. everyone doing had to put those egos in check yeah so i was reading that that's the uh, initial quote on the dark fi manifesto i came across dark fi from a video uh when did this video come out january 13th so it came out yesterday um, so I'll give a little context to that in just a moment. So welcome to the Closed Network Podcast, Privacy, Privacy Podcast. Simon here coming at you with episode number seven. I don't have a title for it yet. I've actually been working on this episode for quite some time because, um, and some of it's going to be out of date as my headset cable goes flying across the table. It's a little out of date because, well... I, as uh, along with most of my family, as well as a lot of people on Earth, got COVID right before the holiday and uh, hit me pretty good. I was down for a couple of weeks. And then on top of that was compounded with a sinus infection and an ear infection, which, uh, which was a lot of fun. So I actually started feeling a lot better um, a few weeks ago, but I've been really congested and you don't really want to listen to someone, especially me talking to a microphone for any length of time period, you know, especially like a podcast length of time with a, with a nasal congested voice. It's still a little nasally, but it's, it's totally, you know, not nearly as bad as it was. So there is some stuff that uh, some, some, you know, show notes and things I'd compiled that are somewhat now out of date. And when I say out of date, it's just kind of old news. Um, uh, I'll still touch on some of it through the show, but um, there's been a lot that's been going. I feel like so much has happened in the news and in the media just in the last you know month or so. It's been probably yeah, a good month since the last podcast I was able to get out. Maybe it might by be like five weeks. I'm not sure exactly. And that sucks. Um, really, uh, was bummed out that I wasn't able to get any content out. So I apologize, but, uh, you can't, you can't run from the Rona, you know, doesn't matter, uh, what you do. It seems <laughs> not to get, 
uh, into the weeds on on uh, on all that, but it doesn't really seem to care who you are or what vaccinations you have or any of that. It's it's uh, it's coming for it. So uh, a little bit of update here. Um, first off, I want to say I've been really appreciating the feedback. Uh, the podcast is picking up traction. It's getting a lot of new listeners. Um, the way I know this is, uh, I'm just look at the the counts on the feeds and the downloads. And I know that's not an exact, you know, uh, uh, science as far as metrics go for podcasts. You can really only count who's downloading. Um, not sure if they're listening to the whole thing, but I've been getting emails and people are following me on Twitter and, uh, yeah. And just the interactions I've had and I'm, I've been really, um, it just tickles me when I get those uh, Satoshis boosted to me. Uh, if people are using a 2.0 podcast app, uh, which you can download at newpodcastapps.com. Uh, I use Breeze. Breeze is pretty cool. It works on um, iOS. It works on Android. It works on de-Googled Android phones. And I like it because you can basically, it's it's an app that's connected to the Lightning Network and the Bitcoin Lightning Network. And you can you know, throw in 10, 20 bucks or whatever worth of Bitcoin uh, into your wallet. And as you're listening to different podcasts, if they're available for value in the 2.0 platform, you can uh, send them Satoshis right through the podcast app, which is cool. So if there's, you know, a bit or a segment that you really like, you can hit boost and you can set how many Satoshis you want to boost, 500, 1,000, you know, whatever, whatever number you want to do. Um then it just goes, it just uses lightning and goes right to the content creator. And so people have been doing that for this show. And, uh, that's awesome. I really appreciate it because, um, you know, it, it, it does, uh, it does help. It costs money, uh, to do stuff like this. Um, you know, pod page, I use pod page for hosting the, the website and then you've got equipment and all these different things. And, it just helps. It really helps. It, it, it's not so much like, oh, it's going to make, uh, you know, make me money or to live on, but it's, it's really nice to get those donations um, and that value for value model. So thank you all. And if you really enjoy the show and you're not able to donate in any particular way, which you can also do by going over to closed network, ntwrk.com. Uh, you can also uh, donate like the old-fashioned way, like buy me a coffee type thing and, and do a donation that way using a credit card or something. Um, but you can also leave a review. So if you go to closednTWRK.com, you can click on the reviews up in the, uh, up in the menu and leave a review. Or you can leave a review if you're using Apple Podcasts or whatever respective platform you're listening on. Uh, then that, that they all kind of aggregate together, and that really helps me a lot. So... Uh, I really appreciate that. I really appreciate any any feedback. And feel free to also shoot me an email, which you can do through the contact form on closednTWRK.com. And I us- usually respond back pretty quickly um, within a day or two. I have had some people reach out to me about de-Googled Android phones. Um, I do actually have uh, a few back in stock because I did sell some of the previous ones that I have. So I think right now I've got two or three, I think maybe three Google pixel three A's, uh, and in black, they're the 64 gig. And I've got one pixel three AXL, which is the black and white. And I have one pixel five and I can preload those with uh, graphene OS or Calyx OS. I actually am waiting on 
Uh, two new phones. I got a Pixel 6 and a Pixel 6 Pro. This Pixel 6 Pro should be here, I think, Tuesday next week. I'm recording this on Friday, January 14th, 2022. And Happy New Year to everybody. I hope you had a great holiday and New Year. Uh, so, yeah, I'll be getting those phones. And, and the, the regular 6, I think, won't be getting here until like January 25th. So I'll be loading those up. Uh, so the, the 6 Pro, I'm planning to use as my new daily driver. I've been using the Google Pixel 5 with Calyx OS, and um, I like it. I don't have anything bad to say about it, actually. It's a little small uh, for my hand. I, I do actually prefer a slightly larger phone, and I hope that the Pixel 6 Pro will be not too big, but just right. Um, I may actually even try the 6 out, too. I'm not really sure, but I'm planning to carry those in stock uh, as well. They're a little hard to get right now because they're pretty new. And I've been spending a lot of time in the Matrix servers on both Graphene OS and the Calyx OS testers. Uh, just just kind of interacting with people who are running the 6 and the 6 Pro, both running Graphene OS and you know people running Calyx OS. And so far, so good. Uh, there's some really cool features. So I'm looking forward uh, to getting my hands on that and uh, getting it flashed and, and setting it all up. And I'll uh, report back. There's a few concerns I have about the edged glass on the 6 Pro. But um, so far from when when I'm asking questions uh, in those Matrix servers, it doesn't really seem to be a problem. So anyways, I mean, phones are awesome. And phones are probably the most most used personal computing device that we that we own. So I do spend a lot of time focusing on the mobile stuff. Um, when I say mobile stuff, you know, trying out ROMs, figuring out workflows, what apps work, when to use uh, web shortcuts, when to use an app for something. And uh, yeah, so I've, I've got another project I'm working on, which is totally a little bit different. And um, so I've also, I don't know, I'm trying to figure out how to hybrid <laughs> the content together because I'm going to be writing a lot of privacy guides. So what I might be doing is actually replicating some of those privacy guides um, to both platforms. Um, we'll see. I'm not quite sure. But regardless of the fact, I am planning to do some privacy guides. There's a lot of good guides out there on YouTube and on the web. I actually found a fantastic blog and I'll put it in the show notes now while I'm thinking about it because I was really, really impressed if I can find the, uh, oh, I can't find the, I can't find the link off the top of my head now, but I will find it and put it in the notes. It's a, it's a website dedicated to us basically self-hosting. Uh, they, they, our computer engineers have spent a lot of time writing articles on their blog for basically self-hosting a lot of the Bitwarden server, Samba server, you know, file servers, uh, Nextcloud, things I've talked about in the show, but they have a whole blog and have a lot of uh, step-by-step guides on how to do that, especially a lot of them are on Raspberry Pi, um, which is which is a really inexpensive way to have a, a server running in your home for probably less than 200 bucks, including a pretty massive external storage drive. You could probably have like an eight terabyte uh, storage uh, network attached storage on your network running on a Raspberry Pi. You could also run uh, Nextcloud on there or a Plex server or any, any other type of uh, application that you might want to run. And it's just kind of a, it's cool. I, I'm coming across a lot of people and a lot of, YouTube channels and podcasts 
that are really focused on not just privacy, but privacy is a big reason why they're making content on uh, self-hosting applications or alternates to big tech in general. I, I guess that's probably more of like the, the, the theme is how to get off and away from how to get off. That sounds terrible. How to get off from big tech, how to get away from big tech and big tech seems to be only getting bigger and wants more and more of your information. Um, we'll be talking about a few things uh, in this podcast uh, about location data, even if, you know, being, being harnessed and, and collected, even if you're opting out talking about, um, you know, social media tech giants building tools to allegedly stop the spread of revenge porn, but essentially they're holding all of the uh, all of the content, so people have to just trust them, right? Your quotes, trust them, uh, and it's been um, it's been also an interesting season in the last two or three months with a lot of the a lot of personalities getting booted from these platforms, whether it be uh, Twitter, uh, YouTube. Uh, or any any other platforms, Instagram, that kind of thing. And there's this kind of migration. People are uh, moving to other platforms. Maybe it's Rumble. Uh, I've noticed there's been a lot of people moving to Getter, uh, G-E-T-T-R, which is supposed to be, uh, is not a right-wing kind of focused platform that's freedom of speech and you know, they're not censoring you and all this, but I have some concerns about it, and I'll be talking about that as well. Uh, and it's, you know, do whatever you want to do. It's just understand when you're registering for accounts, my recommendation is to only use uh, the website and not install any apps. Those apps have a lot of trackers in them. Use the website, and when you register, register as a pseudonym. Don't don't use your real name. Um what do you have to gain from that? You know, so if you have a favorite, you know, Transformer character or GI Joe character or My Little Pony or Shira or whatever it is, like, you know, be be pseudo anonymous as much as possible or anonymous as much as possible online. Register using, you know, uh, simple login, you know, email aliases or an alias that you have off your Proton or Tutanota email. Um, just you know, try to compartmentalize. Um, and compartmentalization, if I can fit all this in, I know I'm kind of rambling. This has been four or five weeks of me just not feeling well and thinking about all this stuff and consuming it. But getting back to the compartmentalization, I wanted to mention that both on Graphene OS and Calyx OS, the ability to have multiple user profiles on your phone and switch back and forth really easily to compartmentalize maybe personal from work or personal from a hobby, um, or something like that. So we'll kind of trying to get into all of that in this uh, in this particular episode. So thanks for hanging in there with me. I apologize for this massive gap uh, in from from episode six to seven. Uh, statistically, a lot of podcasts fade off after the seventh episode. So I was feeling like really beat down. I mean, that's not my intention, right? It is not to, you know, phase out the podcast. It's just that, <coughs> excuse me, you know, uh, COVID really jacked me up. Uh, and then, of course, you know, a lot of all my family and we're all trying to take care of each other and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it kind of really uh, dampened the holiday. Uh, we had kind of, we, we did, we didn't kind of, we canceled Christmas. We were going to have it in my house, you know, get the family together and it all just, uh, it all just didn't work out, but everyone's healthy. Everyone's doing well and that's what matters. So 
I'm grateful for that. Um, so yeah, um, let's we'll just kind of dive in. So uh, what I'm going to do is we'll just kind of start off with Calyx and Graphene OS. So right now they're both working on stable releases. I think Graphene at this time of this podcast, Graphene OS has already had a stable release of um, the latest build for uh, the the Google Pixel Six phones, which include Android twelve, uh, and so does. Calyx OS. Calyx OS is actually probably going to have the release within about a week or so from now, barring any you know or you know any unforeseen major issues. Um, they have a couple of test builds people have been running, and so far it seems to be working out really well. So I'm hopeful. Um, and let me actually grab my phone real quick. So I wanted to kind of uh, if you run one of these ROMs on your phone, you know if it's Android, so you pull you pull your shade down from the top. And in the lower right-hand corner, if you don't have a little person, like a little profile, you can actually just go into your, uh, into your settings on your device. And I believe, let me just make sure I got this correct. Um, yeah, you go, to, you go to your settings and you go to system. And under system, there is a menu option for multiple users. And if it's not on, you can turn it on. And then from here, you can add a user profile and give it a name. And from this point forward, you can switch between these profiles by pulling down the top of your phone, like to get to your flashlight and all that. And you should have a little icon of a profile person in the lower right-hand corner next to the settings icon. You can click on that and fast switch between your users. You can also add a guest. So if you just like, like, so why would you use this? Um, let's say you've got your main profile, right? And you've got all your contacts in there, your calendar stuff. Uh, maybe you've got certain apps. Maybe you've got shortcuts to things and it's configured a certain way. But maybe, maybe you need something for work, uh, but you don't really want it. So you maybe you have to download an app from the Aurora store right? Maybe it's not a very privacy respecting app. Maybe it's something like uh, Microsoft Teams or, you know, one of those types of things, um, Zoom or something that you're like, man, I really don't want this on my phone because I'm trying to like, you know, live this privacy life. And, you know, I don't want to defile my phone by installing some app, which, you know, Lord knows what's going to happen. Yes, you can control when the app has access to the internet, if it has access to your location data, all this other stuff. But, you know, you still may not want it installed because it may have third-party stuff in there or trackers that you don't, or it may be trying to access your contact information. I don't know if Zoom does that, but let's just say, for you know, example, Zoom or Microsoft Teams, it might say like try to access your contacts, so it could try to find out who you know who's on that platform to talk to. Well, you can you can just install those apps in a separate f- profile for work, or maybe you have. Maybe you manage somebody's social media or your business social media, but you don't want it to install Instagram or Twitter like in your environment for your profile. So you could fire, you could just set up another profile just called, you know, social or whatever, social media or whatever. And you can install apps in that user profile and it won't be able to cross over and see your contacts and all that other stuff, your personal data in your main profile. That is really slick. Um, it, you know, it's kind of like I've mentioned on, on previous episodes using MySudo. MySudo is an app uh, 
Uh, you can have one pseudo for free, but I have a paid paid subscription. And my pseudo allows you to have literally different identities in an app on your phone with a phone number. You can text, you can email, you can surf the internet. You can even do uh, credit card information in there, kind of like privacy.com. They offer that as a service. I have never used it, but I know it's available. So you're compartmentalizing these different kind of like phone numbers and identities within an app. This is kind of similar to that, but instead of doing like separate phone numbers and emails, you know, you're actually separating profiles out entirely and, you know, able to compartmentalize, you know, what you, your, the data that you care about, that's really important to you. Um, especially like if you take a lot of photos and or something, and then you want, you install some app and it wants to access your photos. It wants to access your GPS location. It wants to access all your contacts, your call history, things like that. TikTok is a great example. TikTok is just terrible if you read the privacy policy for tiktok i mean it literally is like basically we read everything we access everything blah 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 so let's just say for instance and i don't know what the use case might be for you this probably you know may or may not apply but let's say you had to run a tiktok account because you're or maybe you decided to help out a friend start a business for their bakery or tattoo shop or whatever it is and you wanted to do that maybe you have some skills you want to contribute you could fire up and different profile install that application and it can't get to your other stuff so it's kind of like these you know firewalls you're putting up and you can all do do it all on the same phone so you don't have to have like you know you know the the the, the way i would do that otherwise is i'd be like well i'll have a separate phone for this kind of stuff um but that gets cumbersome and you know how many devices do you really want to carry around with you uh, so that is really, really slick and that's actually been available. I mean, even before, you know, the, the new phones and Android 12, that's actually been available in the existing, uh, ROMs, both Calyx and, uh, Graphene OS, but I was not utilizing them. I kind of knew what they were, but I hadn't really used them. So that's why I hadn't mentioned it because I kind of want to be able to play around with things before I talk about them. So that's, that's kind of like what's going on with that. Uh, with with the updates with uh, the Pixels, Graphene OS, and, and uh, Calyx OS. I will be trying them out, and I'm, I'll be uh, excited to report back and let you let you all know my thoughts so far, how they're working out. Um, cool, cool new updates on the hardware uh, and some security with the Titan chip, uh, the camera, you know, a megapixel bump, as well as, um, you know, the, the different uh, focal lengths that you can zoom in on because of the multiple lenses. You know, all the new smartphones are kind of getting updated with two or three different camera lenses for different, uh, uh, you know, field of view, so to speak. So, you know, uh, lenses that can take better macro photos and then, you know, better zoom photos and wide angle and all that fun stuff. So, yeah, pretty exciting. Um, gosh, and, you know, this, like, Jocelyn Maxwell, Jelaine, Jocelyn, I don't know how to say her first name, Maxwell trial was going on. I was following the uh, the trial, the, the tracker trial Twitter account, had, like, half a million subscribers. That got nuked. The Nancy Pelosi portfolio tracker, which I was following, got nuked. Um, and, you know, I see a lot of people migrating over to, uh, to Getter. And... I I want to talk about an article and actually I'm I might even just read it because it's not super long. All right, I might even just pull out some highlights. So uh, there are some really good resources on Substack and there's one um particular uh Substack I've been following called um uh Top Talk Liberation. Yeah, the Talk Liberation. Um and 
they had an article say, what are you really getting with Getter? And uh, it starts as just saying, you know, as people seek an alternative to big tech uh, abuses, Getter has gained millions of users. And this is true. People like Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan, um, uh, Dr. Malone, like a lot of big names that have been kind of on the outskirts of social media. I think um, uh, Marjorie Taylor, you know, you have a, a lot of people who've gotten kicked off the Twitter platform and they're moving over here. And he says this exclusive investigation. So they did this like investigation on like the, the app and the service itself. Um, by <clears throat> excuse me, talk liberation reveals the troubling tech behind Gitter that puts users at risk. Um, and I'll just go through the key findings. So, these are the findings that they found from their investigation, probably like looking at network traffic and analyzing uh, as much information they could that the app was sending, uh, sending out and receiving. So the key findings are they have numerous trackers from Facebook, Google, and other third parties, um, probably for analytics reasons and performance, crash reporting, all that kind of stuff, are embedded, are embedded into the getter web and smartphone apps. Now, I don't know. They say web and smartphone, so I don't really get that too much. Usually, if you log into a website, let's say you're using Brave or Firefox, and you have, like, uBlock or you have, like, you know, the privacy settings set to, like, block trackers and stuff, This that may be enough to stop that. Because um, you're not really installing an app. You're just making a shortcut to the mobile version of the website. And the mobilized version usually acts just like the app does. Uh, it's just not quite as robust when it comes to notifications and things like that. Uh, but anyways, there's definitely a ton of trackers within the um, the app that you're going to download for your, for your phone. It says app permissions facilitate the surveillance of wide of a wide variety of information about Getter years, users, including fine-grained behavior and location data. This data is then used to profile users and shared with third parties. Okay, and then there's an there's a uh, a service called Getome, G-E-T-O-M-E, uh, Getome or Getome, which is a previous version of the Getter app, <clears throat> says that it targeted Chinese language audiences is still published in Google Play and effectively provides a backdoor to Getter. Users can log in and interact on the Getter network via the Getome app, bypassing the updates on the newer application. Now, I don't necessarily know what you know, the impact is to users of Getter and verse, you know, uh, and other people logging in through get um, app. Um, I'm not really sure, but there definitely seems to be something at play there. You know, there's another way to backdoor in potentially into the platform. If there's any vulnerabilities within the get um, uh, API or, or the apps themselves, uh, it says, um, uh, content on Getter such as news is loaded directly from external sources, Okay, opening connections between Getter users to dozens of domains. So basically, the next, they're kind of like, think of it as like an iframe, if you're familiar with web development, where people who are posting content, the, the external source is directly being embedded into Getter. So anything that you interact with, it could potentially see, uh, whether it's a Facebook pixel, Google tracking code, any other, uh, you know, like heat mapping, analytics, that kind of fun stuff. Uh, so that's kind of an issue. Um, it says content on Getter, such as uh, news, is loaded directly from external sources, opening connections between Getter users to dozens of domains. This introduces serious privacy and security risks. Some of this content is delivered via unencrypted HTTP, which who is doing that this day, but whatever, and further jeopardizing users. It says Getter's privacy policies 
failed to disclose the full extent of Getter data collection and sharing with third parties. That is not cool. Getter infrastructure is hosted by cloud vendors such as Amazon AWS. Um, hello? Did we not learn anything from Parler? Um, and the company email accounts are hosted by Google. So they're using Google Apps. They're using Google Workspace or Google Apps for their company email. How dumb are you? I, I don't understand this. It's like, let's build this Twitter alternative, right? And we're going to be all about free speech. And, and don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking Getter directly. I don't know who, the, who runs it. I don't know. I don't care. It doesn't really matter to, to me right now. It, the point is, is that history is repeating itself here. You know, Parler um, arguably was maybe con considered much more like fringe or out there or extreme. Getter seems to be there trying to be maybe, at least from their marketing, like they're trying to be more centrist, center of the road, or just kind of like libertarian, whatever. Um, but why, why would you build? Why would you build these on these apps on AWS uh, and have the email hosted on Google? I mean, that's just. I don't understand that. I don't get that at all. Um, and it says, utilizing the API of Getter to gather large amounts of data is trivial. It says the situation has improved since approximately 90,000 emails were breached in July of 2021, but a trove of information is still available via basic technical methods. So it looks like they've had some security issues in the past, and it's, um, you know, it's, it says to view the source data for this investigation. They have a repository on, on their GitHub page. Uh, you can shoot them an email, and uh, of course, you know they have a deep, deeper dive analysis. Um, it says our analysis was conducted on web and smartphone apps by Sean O'Brien, CSO of Panquake.com, founder of Privacy Lab at Yale Law School, where he also teaches cybersecurity. This study utilizes free and open source software tools and publicly available sources. So, okay. So, anyways, um, I, I just, I want to, you know, I'm an advocate for breaking away from big tech and decentralizing, de-Googling, self-hosting. Um, I, I guess we should even say de-Appling. It's not really a thing, though. You can't de-Apple an Apple phone. It's just, it's going to be run Apple. So, Maybe that's why we don't say D-Apple. But you know what I mean. Break away from these big tech companies, big tech giants who have basically made trillions of dollars, you know, harvesting our data and uh, selling it. And and uh, also, who knows if they're not just selling it, but giving away or allowing access to third-party companies for whatever reason or three-letter agencies and that kind of thing. So <clears throat> I just want people to be mindful about when you see something new and shiny before just jumping into it. Give it some time. Understand, you know, like who's behind it, the technology, what are these, you know, these apps. Just because some someone comes out and says, don't be evil, <laughs> doesn't mean they won't be. Um, and for anyone who got that, that was Google. That used to be Google's slogan, um, don't be evil. I mean, we're going back to the early mid-2000s, right? So, so. When we see something new that's disruptive, right, especially in the in the wake of like all of these <clears throat> individuals getting censored, getting kicked off of a major mainstream platform or something to be considered mainstream platform like Twitter, and they're flocking to Getter uh, before just following the herd and swimming with you know the school of fish over to this other platform, uh, it's good to understand like. Okay, what? Who is this? What's this about? Versus saying something like uh, a decentralized social 
experience using like Mastodon. Um, and by the way, I am going to be setting up a Mastodon server because I want everyone who listens to the podcast that wants to be able to interact with other people in an anonymous fashion um, to do so. I want to be able to uh, for all of us to connect and share ideas and share guides and tutorials and help each other out. So, but I don't, I don't want to create, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to create like a getter, you know, for, for something like that. I would be, it's, it's centralized. It's, there are people in control. And you know what? To, to run these services, it's not free. It's very expensive to, to do startup and design and development and security updates and pay for infrastructure. Um, and, and you have to pay people. And you, there's a lot that goes into it. So anything that's free, remember, anything that's free, there's got to be a revenue source somewhere. Now, it may not Excuse me, it may not be right now. Maybe they've got an advertising model built in that's coming down the road. I don't really know. I don't I haven't really checked out the platform. I'm just looking from arm's length. Um, but I'm asking questions. So, you know, it's just something to think about. Um, I'm also gonna reference another uh article that was on Vice, even though I'm not a huge uh fan of Vice, but every once in a while there's uh there's some information. This was um associated with location data. So there's a location data firm that got GPS data from apps, even when people opted out. So there's a lot of this happening. And I don't know how effective it is to rely on the Apple app store, the Apple iOS environment where you install an app and it says, ask app not to track. Um, Like, do they, is this just a thing? Uh, but they can still do it if they want to. I, I'm not really sure. I don't have a clear answer on that. I don't know if anyone else does. Um, but um, there is an article out. So, uh, news around location data firm Huck, H-U-K, shows that data companies may not even really know if they've received consent to harvest information from ordinary phones. So this is interesting because a lot of a lot of these apps aren't just like one company. There, a lot of times there's multiple companies that are feeding information into a platform that's being licensed. So then they're doing the, the maybe the app that you're actually using is doing API calls elsewhere. That that other service may have no idea what kind of arrangement is between their company and the end user. So Huck, an established data vendor that obtains granular location information from ordinary apps installed on people's phones, then sells the data, has been receiving GPS coordinates even when people explicitly opted out of such collection inside individual Android apps. Researchers at Motherboard uh, have found, so it says that the news highlights are... The news highlights a stark problem for smartphone users that they can't actually be sure if some apps are respecting their explicit preference around data sharing. The data transfer also presents an issue for the location data companies themselves. Many claim to be collecting data with consent and by extension in line with privacy regulations, but Huck was seemingly not aware of the issue when contacted by Motherboard for comment showing that location data Firms harvesting and selling this data may not even know whether they are actually getting this data with consent or not. And it goes on to say, uh, this shows an urgent need for regulatory action. This is Joel Reardon, assistant professor at the University of Calgary and forensics lead and co-founder of the App Census, a a company that analyzes apps and who first flagged some of the issues around Huck to Motherboard. Said in an email, I feel that there's plenty wrong with this idea that as long as you say in your privacy policy uh, 
then it's fine to do things like track millions of people every moment and sell it to private companies to do what they want with. But how do we even start fixing the problem like this when it's going to happen, regardless of whether you agree, regardless of any consent whatsoever? Um, and he says, you know, do you have access to documents about the location data industry? We'd love to hear from you. This is the email. Uh, using a non-work phone or computer, you can contact, so on and so forth. It says, uh, in recent years, both Apple and Google have given users more control over which permissions they give to specific apps. In the case of Huck, the Android-level permissions to allow or block Huck-affiliated apps access to GPS data are working as expected, but settings within the apps include options for opting out of that location data, then being shared with others. Says These app-level data sharing opt-outs are being ignored according to the app census and motherboard's tests. So it looks like they're doing some forensic analysis by downloading the apps, you know, not consenting and then if, analyzing the network traffic that's that's coming from the device and looking at that the packets of data or whatever and it's in, in, you know inside those packets there's obviously GPS data that's being reported back and location movement and these different things. So, you know, this this podcast is is you know, we are always talking about um uh, ways to anonymize yourself or, you know, pseudo anonymize yourself and not share and not give out all this information. And so it, at the end of it, it seems like you want to be very careful and you want to be very in, intentful intent. You want to be, <laughs> you want, you want to make sure that your intentions for every app that you download are necessary. Like I need this app. Um, and look at what the app might potentially share. And if you're not using the app, go and kill access to the network and location services for that app specifically. Some apps that, you know, you, you may use, you may also want to route through Orbot, which is like, you know, a Tor VPN um, to obfuscate your location data because it's not going to give a precise, you know, location based on your IP because they won't know what your IP is. Uh, the use of VPNs, of course, this can help. VPNs are not bulletproof, and you also now have to rely on your VPN provider. You have to trust them because now you're sending all of your traffic through one source. Uh, this this brings up yet another concern about the whole um, Apple private relay, right? So right now, I still think it's an opt-in, like you have to go enable it, but I'm sure at some point down the road, it will be a default option, or during setup, it'll probably be presented in a way where it's like, hey, would you like to protect all of your data and all your traffic using Apple's private relay server? And people are like, yeah, you know, which, okay, from from Apple's perspective, there are some, definitely some privacy, like, improvements for that, but on the flip side, um, now all of your traffic is being routed through Apple, like everything your phone does, whether it's web browsing, uh, you know, apps, everything is going to be routed through them as kind of like a, a central VPN. Um, now it may be safe. It may be safer for you to use an iOS device using that than just using it full blown open and allowing every service and website out there to, to see where you're coming from and track you. But now you're centralizing all of your, uh, search your traffic, your communication, everything through Apple. So you know these these are things to think about and understand because this stuff does matter. And, P, and it seems like companies don't really give a crap about privacy policies. They don't really care. Um, 
you know, they're not being thorough, I should say. Now, they might have the right intention initially by being like, well, if, you, if they say, you know, they don't want to be tracked, we'll have to respect that. But it's like, well, what other third parties are you tying in? And what other trackers are you tying? Is everybody that's that's a part of this experience? You know, if it's a video streaming tool, if it's a, if it's a social media app, like does everything tied into that going to respect not tracking the user? Or even if they do see the flag, are they just going to be like, whatever, give me the data anyway? Um, I don't know. And I, and I think that it's important to understand that big tech doesn't know and they don't care that it's us as individuals, our, our, um, our data, our privacy is not their priority. Their priorities are performance, speed, optimization, and making sure that you spend as much time on their platform as possible so that whatever they're selling, whatever ads they're pitching or whatever data they're selling to third parties, they can get more and more and more of it because data is the gold rush. It is the new commodity that is driving these companies' valuations through the roof. And it's important to understand when you download an app, you know, what, what it might mean, what's the trade-off. And so that's why I was saying you really want to have, um, you know, put, put some thought into, okay, do I need this app? And maybe if I do, hmm, if I have a Google phone, maybe I'll install it into a different profile. So even if it does access some of my information or, or it wants to access certain things, um, it won't. It won't be able to get to my contacts. It won't be able to harvest all of those phone numbers and, you know, see all my relationships with everybody and so on and so forth. Uh, you know, and, and kind of in, in, in tune with talking about trusting big tech, right, to do the right thing. Uh, there was an NBC News article uh, regarding Meta, which is Facebook now. Meta is, you know, the renamed for uh, uh, F- Facebook is now Meta. So Meta builds a tool to stop the threat or stop the spread of revenge porn. So Facebook and Instagram parent company partnered with a UK nonprofit to build a tool to let people submit nudes to a central website for removal from multiple platforms. Wow. Now, I know that revenge porn can be a problem, and I don't want to discount that it's not real and it's, it doesn't happen, right? That 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 does that's true. That happens. But I don't know. I mean, you know, you're 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 relying on a company to safely store your nude photos and they probably hash them or whatever uh and and compare them to other hashes where that image may show up on certain uh message boards, forums, that kind of thing or other social media sites, but still it's like, okay, so let me get this straight. Like, let's just say you were in a relationship and you exchanged some, you know, racy photos and whatever, and there were re- the relationship spoils for whatever reason. And now one of the parties, generally it's the dude, uh, you know, says, well, I'm going to post, I'm going to post your pictures on, you know, whatever on this website. Well, I mean, that's a, that's a serious violation of privacy, but, but now, you know, it's kind of like, well, if I was a girl and I had, you know, sent, some these uh, photos to to a you know a partner or somebody I was with I'm gonna be like would I feel comfortable uploading these photos to like to Facebook essentially I mean I know it's a they're they're you know it's a nonprofit company but it's it's you know the investments coming from you know 
these companies. And it says Facebook's parent company, Meta, has worked with the UK-based nonprofit Revenge Porn Helpline to build a tool that lets people prevent their intimate Im- images from being uploaded to Facebook, Instagram, and other participating platforms without their consent. The tool, which builds on a pilot program Facebook started in Australia in 2017, launched Thursday. This is actually dated December 2nd. So this is about a, uh, you know, three weeks old. Or no, I'm sorry. It's about six weeks old. Um, so it allows people who are worried that their intimate photos or videos have been or, or could be shared online, for example, by disgruntled ex-partner to submit the images to a central global website called stopncii.org which stands for Stop Non-Consensual Intimate Images. Interesting name choice there. Maybe that's because the domain name was available. I don't know. It's a massive step forward, said Sophie Mortimer, the helpline's manager. The key for me is about putting this control over content back into the hands of people directly affected by the issue so they're not just left out in the whims of perpetrator of the a perpetrator threatening to share it. Um, yeah, you know, again... Uh, it, you know, it's like good intentions, but how do you know, okay, how do you know what the long-term, uh, you know, sustainability and storage and security of this database that's now not another place that has these images of you? Um, I don't know. That just, man, why, and, and face, I mean, it makes sense that Facebook would be, but I mean, who is pace? I don't know. Who's posting Nudie photos on Facebook. It seems like that would get ta- like flagged like instantly, um, and Instagram. So it just seems, doesn't seem like a doesn't seem like a viable place, right? When I think about this, I'm like, okay, you know, you can kind of appreciate that Facebook's maybe trying, and it's probably more of an olive branch. Like we don't, you know, we're gonna do this just to make people f- like look like we actually are human and we're not robots or aliens or lizard people, and we actually care. So we're gonna do this. We're gonna do this like nonprofit you know, whatever stop in org, But the reality is, I mean, that's not, I don't think that's where revenge porn is getting posted. It's getting posted probably in obscure forums or 4chan or some other crazy places. And so the only way that this works is if all of these other websites work in conjunction, you know, what it said at the beginning of the article is, you know, that the, uh, uh, it would prevent their intimate images from being uploaded to Facebook, Instagram, and other participating participating platforms without their consent. So, you know, I don't. I think that that would be a false sense of safety. Is like if I were this person and I go to the stopncii.org, I'm going to upload all my nudie photos now to to them. Who can see them? Uh, how are they stored? How long are they stored? Indefinitely, forever? What if there's a data breach? Am I notified? Like what, you know, and God, could you imagine? It might even be worse. Maybe the ex who posted on one or two sites or whatever forgets about it. You know, the post moves to page 300. Nobody's ever going to see it. I'm not saying it's it still sucks if it's out there somewhere, but it's probably behind some sort of login. Um, and, you know, what are the chances of that were being the case versus you upload a dozen or 50 or however hundred photos, whatever to stop, you know, the stop NCII.org website. And then they have a data breach or get hacked or have a disgruntled employee that dumps their entire database online. Like, could you imagine? I and mean, that's just, uh, so you have, I mean, you have to think about these things. Big tech wants us to rely on them to make everyone feel safe, make everyone feel coddled, let us handle it. 
you stupid morons, and we'll take care of it for you. You don't get to question how we do things um, and why we do things or when we make changes. You just you just have to trust us. And I just it, I just feel like uh, we're way past the point of trusting tech companies at this point. At least I am, uh, which is why the heck I'm doing this podcast. Um, so, you know, there's just been a lot of things going on. Um, and there's a lot of stuff that I mentioned and I recapped at the beginning of the podcast. because I don't know if I will get to, but, um, I'm just, I'm just kind of sitting back this last, you know, four or five, six weeks and kind of going, wow, you know, there's a lot of things that are going on that we can't exactly explain away, uh, whether it's the, you know, like I was talking about the Jelaine Maxwell trial, uh, started and ended in four weeks right um there's a lot of information out there that wants to be suppressed by a lot of powerful people those same powerful people and i'm not i'm not even talking like in a partisan way i just mean like government uh people in positions of power and wealth that are above the law and no matter what you think it's my belief that they truly are above the law they can actually do things normal people can't do and they can get away with it and matter of fact i mean it can even be almost like blatantly obvious and apparent and the people who are speaking out against them the glenn greenwalds the you know whatever the people who are just trying to speak truth and though it may be their truth it's still they have a right to that speech and as long as it's not hate speech it's not libel they're just they're just speaking their mind. They're speaking from their experiences. That shouldn't be, should not be hindered. It should not be stifled. And I, for one, am definitely lean more towards on the side of let us be free. Let us have that free speech. If someone wants to spout off and be, uh, um, you know, a racist or talking hate or whatever, it's like you don't have to listen to them. You can you can block them. You can deny them. But to deplatform people based that that are that are not even that extreme. They're just talking. They're asking questions. They're doing analysis. They're deep diving. They're reading articles. They're reading bills. They're reading all of these different things, and they're coming to conclusions, and they're talking about it, are being silenced. They're being censored and canceled. This is what I have a problem with. And so then the power gets funneled into a very small number, a collective of private companies, and they're the ones who are actually making the decisions about what's fake news, you know, who gets, who gets to say what, when, where, what words we're going to censor. And, you know, this, this whole like, oh, you know, we're going to do this whole revenge porn database so we can take it off, whatever, take it off our, our, our platforms. I feel like it's just another big extension of like a data grab. Um, I, I don't I don't trust any of these companies is ultimately what I'm getting to. And I don't think you should either. And before, you know, running off and signing up on Getter or, you know, looking at this service and being like, oh, you know, my niece, you know, had an issue with this. Maybe she, no, don't do this stuff. Don't do this. Um, you know, and, and, and in the end, you know, if you haven't done this, don't, don't, don't get into uh, a pattern of sending photos like that to anybody. Um, there's no reason for it. Don't do it. Uh, just don't, um, it, it, just imagine that everything you do and you put out there, any kind of media is out there forever. Uh, whether it's a photo or a video or a piece of audio, uh, that it, it's potentially out there forever and can't be scrubbed. Some things can, but you know, 
if you if you if you operate with that intention or that mindset you are not going to run into this problem and it sucks for the people that um have been victims of that and i man it sucks and i wish i could do something about that but you know at the same at the same time i don't i don't think that facebook is the answer to to revenge porn um a couple things I wanted to also mention is that uh, there is a lawsuit right now against the state of New York, I believe, by the EFF. Uh, so the EFF is the Electronic Frontier Foundation. And um, there was a big privacy uh, fiasco. So there's two pieces of legislation um, that have identical versions to each other. Want to you know versions to pass uh, within the, the House representatives and the and the Senate. Um, A seven three two six slash S and uh, a New York Bill six five four one. And essentially what they are is, um, I'll just kind of read this. Um, it says, the first piece of legislation, A7, blah, 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 65441, New York bills must have identical versions in each house to pass. Which Okay, so the house, in the state legislature and you know of New York, uh, which protects the confidentiality of medical immunity information. It does this in several key ways, including limiting the collection, use, and sharing of immunity information, expressly prohibiting such information from being shared with immigration or child services service agencies and requiring that those asking for immunity information also accept an analog credential such as a paper paper, paper record uh it says also new yorkers present information about their immunity vaccination records for example or test results uh to get in the door at restaurants or gyms they shouldn't have to worry that the information will end up in places they never expected uh it says they shouldn't have to worry that a company working with the government on an app to present these records will keep them to track their movements and they should not have to worry that this information will be collected for other purposes by companies or government agencies. Assuring people that their information will not be used in unauthorized ways increases much-needed trust and public health efforts. Uh, it says the second piece of legislation, which is another bill, and I have a link to this article, um, also aims to stop unnecessary intrusion on people's everyday lives. It says this legislation should stop law enforcement from conducting a park or particularly troubling type of dragnet surveillance on New Yorkers by stopping reverse location warrants, such as warrants sometimes also called geofence warrants, um, allow law enforcement uh, agencies to conduct phishing expeditions and access data about dozens or even hundreds of devices at once. Government use of this surveillance tactic is incredibly dangerous to our freedom and has been used to disproportionately target marginalized communities. Unfortunately, courts have rubber-stamped these warrant requests without questioning their broad scope. Says this has shown that requiring requiring warrants alone is not enough to protect our privacy. Legislatures must act to stop these practices. It says location data is highly sensitive and can reveal information not only about where we go, but about whom we associate with, the state of our health, or how we worship. Reverse location warrant searches implicate innocent people and have a real impact on people's lives. Even if you are later able to clear your name, if you spend any time at all in police custody, this could cost you your job, your car, your ability to get back on your feet after the arrest. As we urge the New York legislature to pass these bills, stand up for their constituents, privacy, and stand against creeping surveillance that disrupts the lives of people just trying to get through the day. So what they're talking about is um, there have been 
there's other articles too I can link to where there have been uh, known known instances of like these dragnet surveillance um, uh, tactics being used by law enforcement um, basically to track uh, who has been in certain areas at what time how for and for how long um, this type of technology is also being used and the FF has another lawsuit open I believe against the San Francisco Police Department from uh, tracking back in 20 I think November 2020. Uh, Black Lives Matter protesters that that were being targeted, um, and all of their information being harnessed uh, using geofence. You know, they have MZ catchers, they have all these other technologies, video surveillance um, f- against people who have not been charged. There's no suspect; they haven't been suspected of committing a crime, but they're basically collecting it with the anticipation that they will commit a crime. And that is where things start to get really murky. It's like, that's what the NSA uh, has been doing for America and the world for who knows how long. We definitely know since uh, Snowden revealed uh, the the dragnet surveillance. Basically, it's the idea of like, we're just going to surveil you all the time. We're going to monitor you, what you're doing, where you're going, who you're doing it with. um, And we're going to store it indefinitely. So if and when you do eventually screw up or do something, we'll have this record of information, which should, should be ephemeral information, but we're going to have it, and it's, you know, forever. And we can then also see who you associated with. So if you do go to a protest or you do end up in a situation where, you know, you're holding the line at a protest and you end up getting, you know, tased or pepper sprayed and you respond and you end up getting detained or arrested. Now they have this timeline of your entire digital footprint, uh, if you will. And that then they also then extend that to known associates and people who you've been around and how long and all these different. So there's just a lot of creepy stuff that's going on. And the reason, one of the reasons why I like doing this and what motivates me to be an advocate for privacy, whether it's using cryptocurrency, whether it's decentralizing, you know, your digital life by hosting your own cloud server on Nextcloud, whether it's de-googling yourself and using uh, Graphene OS or or Calyx OS and getting off of Apple and getting off of Google and managing your data on your own. Uh, is so important and why I think it's only going to become more important over the next year, five years. Uh, it's it's getting really offensive. And if it doesn't piss you off, like it should. Like if it doesn't piss you off, I'm sure it does. If, if, if you're listening to this podcast, you're the type of person where you're like, oh man, these mother freakers, you know, like you just really you just get irritated. You want to, you want to smack them around. Um, and when I say they, I'm talking about the establishment. I'm talking about the, the marriage between big technology companies like Facebook, Google, Twitter, Dropbox, Microsoft, you know, you name it. Uh, and, and, and law enforcement agencies and government with like, you know, the FS, EFF is talking about these rubber stamped, uh, um, what am I trying to say? Uh, uh, warrants, you know, um, 
it's like they don't even have to look at you and come up with probable cause, go to a, a judge and get a warrant. It's kind of like they kind of just have these like blanketed warrants. So if they find any reason for cause, they can just like check checkbox, you know, okay, you know, domestic terrorists or extremists or whatever. Uh, and boom, now they can go search all your stuff. No, no judge actually looked at anything. I mean, this is all happening electronically and it's scary. And I, this isn't a doom and gloom kind of thing, but it's just like, this is just the reality of it. And why it is really important to use end to end encrypted open source apps, use as many free and open source apps as possible. Um, you know, the easiest way to get started is move all your conversations from text message or iMessage over to signal. If your friends don't want to get on signal, just keep, just keep pushing them. Um, and eventually tell them like, Hey man, (laughs) don't, don't send me any text messages unless it's on signal or threema or session, something that's open source and, and not, uh, ran by a centralized, uh, uh, company. Like, you know, running like WhatsApp or iMessage or something. And text, text in itself is, is just inherently insecure, uh, like SMS. So, and it can be fun, though. This can be a fun journey. And it's fun to circumvent. And there's a reason why I started out, and I, I kind of come back to this. Uh, I started out with that Dark Phi manifesto uh, quote from... Former FBI Director James Comey about unfortunately the law hasn't kept pace with technology, and the disconnect has created a significant public safety problem. We call it going dark, and what he's referring to is the ability for us to communicate outside their purview without them scanning and seeing it. And I'll have a link to this. I haven't gone through this entire uh, manifesto, but it talks about, um, uh, you know, it talks about uh, tokenization, uh, which, you know, through the power of, of tokenized, you know, um, alternate currencies, programmable money, right? Um, we can have a separate economic network. We have autonomous political formations, uh, whether it's voting that, you know, for years now, actually back in 2016, 2017, I mean, that, that it was, that was when it first introduced to me the idea of voting based upon like positions. Uh, there's a, there's a cryptocurrency called Decred and I was staking Decred at the time. And I actually got to vote on changes to the platform as like a quote unquote shareholder. Um, and, so it's very democratized. I get voting privileges by holding, you know, the crypto and staking it. Uh, multi-chain, zero knowledge. Um, it says DarkFi is a base layer for anonymous applications and smart contracts. That is a multi-chain. That is multi-chain interoperable. Um, they have a they have a uh, a GitHub and they also have an element um, address to communicate like a chat server on Matrix. Um, you know, Matrix is maybe something actually I should do. If you care, if you care, if you would like to be able to have a closed network community where we could uh, converse with each other, um, I don't know what would be better. What, I kind of like the idea of a Mastodon server, which is more kind of like uh, kind of like using Twitter where you can follow people, you can just kind of pop on when you want to, see a stream of stuff like you would see on Twitter versus a matrix room, which would actually just be like an ongoing real-time chat. 
um, kind of like IRC, IRC, if you're familiar with that, or something. I'll just think of a big chat room. So depending upon where you come in, though, you may not have any context to like what's going on and who the people are. You don't really kind of really follow anyone. You can direct message them. I don't know. Maybe Mastodon's the way to go. Um, if you have any input on that, please, please, please let me know. Uh, just go to closedntwrk.com and shoot me a message or uh, shoot me a tweet or a DM on Twitter. Um, the link to uh, Twitter is on the website and also have it in the show notes if, if you, uh, depending upon your podcast app, but you can also um, uh, just, well, I'm trying to think here. Oh yeah, just follow me on Twitter. That'd probably be, you know, that'd probably be just fine. My, uh, the Twitter account is just closed in TWRK at, at closed network. Uh, just no E, no O on network. So um, let me know. I'll have to put something in. We'll put something together. I just, I don't really know what the best approach is, and I'm still figuring all this stuff out. So back to this dark, dark five. Uh, there is something interesting at the bottom of this. Uh, let there be dark. He says, beneath the mask, there's more than flesh. Beneath the mask is an idea, and ideas are bulletproof. Everybody feels that they will, uh, there will, there must be some typos in here. They should say there will be uh, a big, huge macro political or economic event in the next five years. Everybody is deeply uh, discontent with the power and capital monopolies ruling over us. Um, let me get to the bottom here. Uh, Darkfy is not a project or a company. We are a community and a movement. This sounds like something from like uh, <laughs> Mr. Robot or something, you know, like F society. Darkfy is not a project or a company. We are a community and a movement. Sorry, I'm making fun of it. It's just, I, I can't, I can't, I can't read it without thinking that. Uh, Counter economics gives us tools to architect systems that empower free communities. Crypto anarchy is the tactic of using cryptography for counter economics. Privacy technologies are emerging stronger than ever and are completely unstoppable. I agree. Combine all this together and we get Darkfy. Um, I guess DarkFi is kind of like the in line kind of like with DeFi, decentralized finance, or like DAO, which is um, decentralized autonomous organizations, which is basically there's no leader. It's kind of like headless, um, you know. So in the sense of like a decentralized autonomous network, it might be like computer servers, miners, that kind of thing, uh, giving consensus to something as opposed to some uh, single point or centralized uh, control over something. Uh, so I, I get the ethos and it's kind of cool. I'm not sure I'm all in on this dark vibe, but I'm definitely going to check it out. And I think it's kind of interesting. They do have a matrix server. So I'll probably pop on over there. They have a Substack, Twitter and telegram. I am not a huge fan of telegram. I don't really trust telegram. I know that people say like, Oh, it's an in encrypted and everything, but it's not really, I mean, it kind of probably is, but I feel like there's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have any serious conversations, especially like this topic talking about dark and this manifesto. I probably would not have those conversations on telegram. That's just me though. Um, so anyways, um, holy cow, it's already gone over an hour on this podcast, which isn't terribly long. I know we have had longer ones, but I feel like I've been rambling and talking about a lot of stuff. Um, ultimately I wanted to get some of these ideas out there. I wanted to share what I've been processing and things I've been reading and listening to. Um, there are some really, really good, um, podcasts and YouTube, um, channels out that are focused around privacy. Um, oftentimes cryptocurrency is kind of, kind of goes hand in hand with, with privacy and security. So it's really common for, um, 
uh, people who are producing content to talk about both. And I talk about both as well. Um, I think it's really important to be kind of like in your digital portfolio of, of privacy diversification to have some means and ways to purchase things without a trace. Now, we all know Bitcoin is traceable, but what I'm saying is that being able to do things online permissionless without a middleman asking for permission using a credit card or a payment processor uh, to, to process a transaction, I think it's important. Um, you know, I will probably get into a little bit deeper on on uh, further episodes about like how I kind of do things. Um, I'm running a Get Umbrel, it's U M B R E L. Uh, image on a Raspberry Pi, which essentially allows me to run a lot of different applications and services, including a full Bitcoin node, a Lightning node, uh, Bitcoin Lightning node. I'm also running um, uh, a uh, Dojo server, which allows me to run a Samurai wallet on my Google phone and connect to that server via Tor. Uh, that Dojo server and that Samurai wallet can work together to mix coins, right? So what that does is it essentially tries to de-anonymize Bitcoin. Uh, and then I might use that Bitcoin. And I don't do it with all my Bitcoin, right? I kind of have like a slush fund. Um, that's the way I look at Monero. Monero is like my second favorite cryptocurrency uh, next to Bitcoin. Um, Monero is, you know... As this, as I have this conversation, as secure and anonymous as pot, you know, there's a few others, eCash and some others that kind of have the same claim. But Monero is really like my second go-to. But uh, for instance, I purchased uh, an eSIM, an electronic SIM card for a cell phone from Silent Link, which is basically you don't give any information, and I do everything. You know, I'm on a VPN, and you know all stuff. Uh, and I wanted to buy one of these. I wanted to try it out. And I bought one. It's like 60 bucks. Um, and I wanted to purchase it with Bitcoin. But I didn't want to purchase it with Bitcoin directly from my wallet. Because that's the other thing, too, is you, you buy, you send somebody Bitcoin, they can look at your wallet address and see all your transactions. They can see your balance. And I'm just not down with that. So what I do is I have a slush fund. Um, usually it's, you know, anywhere from a couple hundred bucks to maybe a thousand bucks in my samurai wallet. And the Bitcoin I sent out of there, I sent to yet a different Bitcoin wallet. And that's where I I use Moon, M-U-U-N, um, and I send it from there. So there's the, the chain is broken from my original Bitcoin wallet where I had my funds. I am sending it to myself in Sam, to my Samurai wallet. Uh, my Dojo server, which is running on my Raspberry Pi, is mixing those, those transactions, right? And it's basically spitting out effectively like other people's bitcoin but it's not all traceable right there's there's broken links into my original wallet that it came from now someone else may end up with some bitcoins that i had that came from my original wallet but that then it's like these degrees of separation ultimately it tries to obfuscate you know the the source of where the bitcoin came from um, so, you know, think of it as like, if you had like, uh, let's say, you know, a hundred pennies and, and 10 other people had a hundred pennies and, you know, they all had a number on it. So th- that number would be traceable back to like the, its origination, but you took those pennies and you threw them into a big pot and you just mixed them up with everyone else's. Right. And then you just pulled a hundred random back out. Yeah. You know, some of them are going to be, tra- but you know, then, then, <clears throat> you know, I'm just saying it kind of creates a layer of protection. Is it as good as Monero? No, but, uh, 
Anyways, long story short, I was able to get a SIM card and I'm going to be trying that out. Um, let me, uh, I got a cough here. <laughs> no, excuse me. So perfect example, right? Self-hosted, self-doing it myself. Uh, it allows me to purchase some stuff online using crypto. Don't have to ask permission. I'm not using Visa or Amex or anything like that or PayPal. Being able to conduct commerce is, is in my opinion, like the most, uh, imp- one of the most important, like basic freedoms, being able to conduct commerce, right, uh, with one another uh, is, is super important to a free and open society. Uh, and that's what crypto gives. And being able to protect ourselves online and not have all of our stuff hijacked and stolen and sold um, is part of that. So, yeah, that's my rant. <laughs> Sorry. I, uh, it's been, it's been a while since I podcast. I'm a little out of like, you know, my, uh, my normal, uh, groove, if you will. So I'm kind of, uh, relearning some things here, but anyways, I'm going to go ahead and start wrapping, wrapping up here and, uh, I will get this podcast kicked out the door again. This was recorded Friday, January 14th, 2022 and absolutely love any feedback, donations, uh, good, bad, ugly. Otherwise just head over to closed NT WRK for closed network doc, you know, uh, dot com, uh, NTWRK.com post a review, send me a message, make a donation. If you, if you, uh, feel there's value there. Um, and I will hopefully within the next week or two have some sort of solution. I might even be partnering up with another website to sell those Google uh, pixel phones. Cause I'm going to be ordering more. I've actually just got a pending order that I'm going to submit for some Google pixel four XLs and possibly some more fives. If people are interested in purchasing those, I mean, by all means, feel free to purchase your own phone and, and flash it yourself. That's what I want people to do. But if you are uncomfortable with doing that, I totally get it. And I'm totally willing to do that. Um, it's not a moneymaker. I mean, there's some margin on that and shipping and whatever, but ultimately I want to try to just provide uh, an easy path to get those devices. If that's something that, um, that you want to do. So let me know, give me a follow, hit the website, reach out tell me how you're doing um because i care about you i know you feel like i don't because i'm just like some dude on the internet and you think i don't know who you are but i know who you are and it's important to me that you um feel empowered to take back this power you know uh of uh your your data privacy your rights and you know just um I don't know. It just really feels different from the last, I don't know, from the last episode, probably because I've been over obsessive and absorbed with all this content. I need to take a break. It's probably what I really need to do. So um, anyways, thank you all for listening and I will catch you in the next podcast. Later. I bet when I land, they gon' tell me it's luck again. See that I'm winning, it's harder to watch. I'm setting the stage, you should give me my prize. You ain't got a soul, you lacking the spirit. You talk out your neck, I'ma show you I'm with it. I've been really happy you to.